The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Good morning, everybody. Hey, I hope you're doing well. Do we jump into a brand new series today called Not a Hostage? And uh, if you got a Bible with you, I always encourage you to bring a Bible. I know technology and I know smartphones and you can look them up and you should do that. If you got a smartphone with a Bible app, that's great. But if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. Um, the, the truth is my confession is we're probably going to spend more time in Hebrews 11, but we'll get to 12 eventually. So anyway, I've said before that... Um, I don't know what it is about how I'm wired, but when I see somebody that's incredibly gifted at whatever it is that they do, it's like an emotional thing for me. Like I, I'll, I'll like well up in tears. It's amazing to me. Anybody, um, anybody watch America's Got Talent? There's just, there's things on there where you're like, I can't believe how people can be so good at, you know, whatever it might be. And, and, and of course, when they're good at it, they can make certain things look so easy. You're like, oh, I could probably do that. Like, no, you could never do that. Um, but, but it, it like, it brings me to tears. I mean, even, uh, like, you, you make bacon good all well up in tears. Like, wow, that's some great bacon. I was, um, I was over a while back at, at Nutty's Junkyard Grill over in Arlington. And if you go there for lunch and you get there early enough, in the back, right behind, there's a counter and there's the whole stations to make the food. But there's like a pile of bacon and there's like a double rainbow coming out of it. And it's, there's angels singing. And I'm just like, this is amazing. I just love this. So, but um, anyway, there's just something about the, the beauty of, of somebody gifted at whatever it might be that literally for me is inspiring. And, and for some in this room, maybe it's been a song that you've loved for years or maybe you've recently heard that, that just moved you somehow, or maybe you've seen a movie that, that just had such a purpose or something to it that really has made a difference in, in kind of life or whatever for you, or, or maybe you've read a great biography and there's a story of somebody that, you know, gave up whatever or, or sacrificed whatever or was able to accomplish something and overcome, that, that there's something amazing about that. And that's really the angle that the writer of Hebrews takes when you look at, at all that's written, I mean, from the whole book, but chapter 10 is about our ability to overcome in Christ. And that's awesome. But then he goes to, to chapter 11, and, and we're gonna jump right in here, where it says, now faith is the evidence of things hoped for, being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. And so as we jump in, even just talking about faith, and we're gonna get to the, the hostage part in a moment, which by the way, I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and just say, I'm not a hostage. Come on, do that for me, please. Okay. Good job. Now, there's a few people that when I say turn to your neighbor, you went like this. And I, I just, you're a hostage right now. I don't want you to be, but that's, something's going on there. Anyway, we'll get to some more of that. Um, now, so chapter 11, verse 1, now faith is the evidence of things hoped for, being sure of what we hope for. The idea there, because the writer says it in a way that when we translate to English, it's kind of poetic, but it's not meant to be poetic, it's meant to be meaningful for us. That the evidence that, that the evidence of our faith is that we live differently because we look through the lens of, of how we're called to be like Jesus. So faith is the evidence, is living out the things that deep in our core we begin to understand or we know about the Lord and about what he asks of us as we live out our lives. Now faith is the evidence of things hoped for being certain of things that we don't see. Now, as you continue in, in this chapter, what you're gonna hear is stories of, of people that take action and it comes from their faith. They did something 
because they had faith in a God who, who compelled them or moved them or drew them to a certain place. It, it, it caused action. It's the same for you and I. I'm going to start here. If you look at verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen is not, is, is, uh, not made out of what was visible. And then you get to the people here. Now, by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he's dead. In Genesis 4 and 5, you hear the story of Cain and Abel. And it's, it's this Abel that had this faith in God that Cain didn't really have. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life, so he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before, this is it, before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. This whole idea for you and I in this series, not a hostage, is this picture that we are called to live by faith, that we don't always understand everything, but when we begin to understand through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the reading of Scripture, through understanding what we're called to do, that we walk it out and, and we will eventually reap the benefits if we do what God asks us to do. And so we're going to get to what that's about, but in verse 6 it says this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so this all plays together from verse 1 to verse 6 that as we live by faith, God wants to reward you and I living the way we're called to. Verse 7, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. You're going to hear that so much, you're going to be tired of it, okay? By faith, verse 8, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would, relate, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. Everybody say, obeyed and went. So there again, that's the evidence of his faith. He did what he was called to do by faith. He obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Now look at verse 10. For he was looking forward. Everybody say looking forward. Now, that's a key to this whole picture of how you and I live by faith. We're not there yet, but, but we're trusting that God has a way of, of getting us to where we're called to be. Now, I'm speaking in generalities, and we'll get a little more specific in a minute, but one of the keys is trusting that God's got a future reward if I do what is right today. And as we talk about it, you and I can so easily fall prey to certain temptations. We can fall prey to certain patterns of behavior or, or ways of living or, or even things like unforgiveness and, 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 and you know, bitterness or live in anger, live in envy, live in jealousy, live in greed and make excuses for it. When we're not called to live that way, we can live addicted, tripping over ourselves because we're not living by faith. God says, I want you to not live as a hostage anymore because you've become free in Jesus Christ. Is that good news to anybody besides me? So our freedom in Christ is a huge deal. 
And the reminder here is let's look forward to what God has. And so there's parameters, there's guardrails around our lives so we can get to where God wants us to go. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, wasn't able to become a father because... He considered him faithful who had made this promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, I love how the writer says that, he's basically dead, but he had kids, you know. So that's what he says there. Um, came, uh, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show they're looking for a country of their own. When you and I face the temptation to to do the things that God would say, don't live there, don't camp out there, don't give in to that, don't let that be a pattern for your life, We're we're challenged to be reminded, God, you've got something better, and so I want to discipline myself and lay those things down and do what you want because I want to get to that place. Verse 14, people who say such things show they're looking for a country of their own. Look at verse 15. If they had been thinking of the country they came from, they would have had opportunity to return. Now, is that familiar to anybody else besides me? You go, well, what what do you mean? What is he saying there? He's basically saying this. For many of us in this room that have drawn a line and invited Jesus into their lives, and we always say, you know, that's a new birth, a new beginning, a fresh start. You you, you invite Jesus in, and you start there, and you live for Christ. For me, it's been 27-plus years now of living for Jesus, and it doesn't mean I'm perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But in 27 years, I, I will tell you that there are definitely times where it's easy to look back on what used to be and want things that God doesn't want for us. Anybody else familiar with this? Yeah, every head should be nodding like this. Because it's true. Just because you and I come to faith in Christ, it doesn't mean we don't face temptation. It doesn't mean we don't feel the pull of what used to be. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, if you want to focus on what used to be, Trust me, those doors will open if you want them to. And some of us in this room are going, you know what, you're right, because I'm there now, and I want out again, and I don't want to be a hostage to what used to be. And we're going to get to that in a minute. It says that they're not looking back. They're longing for something better. Look at the the rest of verse 15. If they had been thinking of the country they left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they're longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. God had already told them it's going to be Isaac that that the sand on the seashore, the stars in the sky will come true through Isaac. So he's trusting somehow that God's got a bigger plan, even though he has said, go in and sacrifice the one thing that I want to make sure isn't between you and me, the Lord says to him. 
By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. By faith, Jacob uh, blessed each of Joseph's sons and, and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt because they were slaves. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because he saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Do you know the story of Moses? As we were singing earlier, and as Ryan was, was reminding us in prayer, that for you and I, we look at the picture of Moses, and do you know what the name Moses means? To draw out. Well, why does it mean that? Well, when you read the story of Exodus in chapter 2, it's a story of Moses who, as the firstborn children within Egypt and, and Israel were being killed, it, it says that, that his parents hid him. Often a bunch of reeds along the riverbank. And, and Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe with her uh, attendants. And, and as she was bathing, she saw this basket that was woven and floating in the water and said, go get that. And there was a baby in there. And, and she says, his name is Moses. He's been drawn out. We took him up out of the water. But you understand that name was, was in fact more of a, a prophetic name because it was Moses that was called to lead the people out of Egypt, lead the people out of bondage. And Paul makes that parallel in it. And we're reminded, we're reminded in the New Testament of that parallel that you and I are called to come out of bondage. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not a hostage. Some of you people, you're going to get it eventually. <laughs> See, it's that thing where, where, like Moses, we are called to be drawn out of what used to be. We're not called to live in an old pattern. We're not called to fall prey to those same things that tripped us up. And some of us make excuses. I can't overcome. I've always dealt with anger, and it just is what it is. I've always dealt with a bottle, and it's not what it used to be, but you know, it just is what it is. And there's all kinds of ways that you live in bondage to things that God says you're meant to be drawn out from that, and your middle name might as well be Moses. Nicholas Moses. I feel good. Okay, anyway, so I just, just. Look, at, look at this chapter. It continues. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a short time. And many of us are very familiar with that pattern. We indulge ourselves only to look back and go, why did I do that? Is that, is that just me? Sorry. <laughs> he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. To, sorry, uh, to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt. Not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Who did he see? We'll get to that in a minute. Remember that verse, 27. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkling of blood so the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, the prostitute Rahab was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and the prophets. 
who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, who became powerful in battle and rounded and routed foreign enemies, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. By faith, we live going, God, you've got something better, and so I'm not going to live indulging what I want. I believe you want me to conquer. I believe you want me to overcome. I believe I am not a hostage. Is anybody with me today? I realize I don't need the microphone. I'm just enjoying it. <laughs> but but then, it, then it takes a turn. Because the first one is, oh, they, they conquered kingdoms and administered justice. Now, now here, here's the next verse. But others were tortured and refused to be released. So they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging. While others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. And we're not talking about marijuana, to be clear. They were sought in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went around in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet, none of them received what had been promised. And this is where all of a sudden you and I are in this picture right here. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Do you know what some of us are holding on to? That while in this world we're not necessarily receiving it, it's coming. It may be eternity, but it's coming. It may not be this side of heaven, but it's coming. And the Bible says, and the writer of Hebrews at the very end of this section says that all the promises weren't fulfilled in our own lives. It's not that it's about receiving everything that, that we have in our mind's eye and God puts in our hearts. It's about trusting that God has something better. But you know what it says? It's a reminder that someday when we cross the veil from this world into eternity, there's what Revelation would call the wedding supper of the Lamb. And you know what that is? It's the most incredible feast you could ever imagine. The most incredible celebration party you could ever fathom. And you know what? You get to hang out with people like David and Rahab and Abraham and Moses and go, my middle name's Moses. Moses, that's pretty cool. But it's meant to inspire us that look, as we exist in this world, we face the pull of things that want to take us down all the time, if we're being honest. But God has something better. And so we live by faith. God, I believe you have something better. Although, I don't, God, I believe some of you as single people, God, I believe you've got somebody out there for me. And you want to take care of what that's going to look like. But in the meantime, I don't want to give all of my wares away. I don't want to give all that I am away to, to individuals because you say to wait, to hold off, to be patient, to trust, to live in such a way that you're becoming what God wants so that when that individual finally comes, you could see as clear as possible who they are. Trusting that while some of you have found reprieve in a bottle and it calms you down, it mellows you out, it takes the edge off of stress, 
But some of you have found the victory of going, you know what, I'm moving towards sobriety because that is not helping me exist. It's not helping me cope. It's actually something that's an addiction that although I don't want to admit it, sometimes I need it and I find myself falling prey to it. That's some people in this room. Some of you, it's holding on to that unforgiveness, holding on to those things where somebody's wronged you and you feel that and, and somehow if you just keep that wall, and but it was them, but you know what they did? You know what they, they've never apologized. They've never come to me and, and said, let's make this right. What am I supposed to do? It's still up to you to find that place of forgiveness because if you don't, you know what? You're holding yourself as hostage. You're chaining yourself to a wall because you stew over it and you think over it and you lose sleep about it. It's not helping your health because that's what unforgiveness does. But somehow you feel like it's a blanket around you that keeps you safe. If I forgive, what's going to happen? If I let them off the hook, what, what, how's that work? Don't they just get away with it? Don't you trust in God's economy? If you read Proverbs over and over, it talks about how he'll take care of the scales of justice. Maybe it's not up to you. Hmm. And now chapter 12. <laughs> I told you. I told you, it's like forever. Like, are we going to get to 12? I am part two. No. Listen, so here, here now the writer, and again, remember these weren't written in chapter and verse. That was added later on to help us go, okay, this is where this is. Chapter 12, verse 1, therefore, in Bible study back at Northwest University, they always taught us, here's a basic principle of Bible study. Anytime it says therefore, you got to know what it's there for. In other words, what came before this? So we went all the way through chapter 11. Therefore, since you and I are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. He's saying because of these individuals living the way they lived, you can too. And be inspired by their example of laying down their own lives, of disciplining themselves, of being different than the pattern of this world. Look what they did. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such incredible people, let's not settle for being an average person. Let's not settle for being an average follower of Christ. Let's not settle for just walking through life, hoping that someday, maybe if we cross our fingers, we'll get to heaven. No, no, no. Let's live in such a way that sin is not so attractive. It's not that we don't face the pull of it. It's that we say, God, here's where I'm at and how I feel. And Lord, I need your strength today. And I could use somebody to give me some hope. I could use some accountability in this conversation. Remember, if you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to mankind. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will provide a way out so you can stand up under it. Can I hear an amen? Now, can you say this for me? I'm not a hostage. God doesn't design us to live as hostages to a pattern of sin. That's not where we're supposed to camp out. Be inspired by all those that have gone before us so that we can throw off all the stuff that tried to hinder them is the same stuff that's going to try to hinder you. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Specifically how? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Pressing on towards what is ahead. Looking forward to something better. Are you getting this today? That's the how. The, the, like I said in chapter 11, verse 27. 
he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. How did Moses do it? He fixed his eyes on the right thing. How are you going to do it? Fix your eyes on the right thing. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, pioneer, the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. You, you could really put this back in chapter 11. By faith, Jesus, because he was looking forward to future joy, endured the cross. It's the same idea as all the others, except it's Jesus. And so he gets kind of honorable mention. He gets special attention, but it's because we're called to be inspired by these others, but look to Jesus. He's the one who began our faith. He's the reason we can even acknowledge forgiveness because of what he did on the cross. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Fixing our eyes on the right thing. See, when we talk about this idea of maturity, as we've said, in, even the, I think last Sunday, we talked a little bit about this idea, is as we mature, our heart grows for people that don't know Jesus. But you got to understand another level of maturity is, is this, this ability to say no to sin for the joy of living right. Have you got to that place yet? Have you got to that place in maturity where, where the joy of living well, living right, outweighs the fleeting pleasure of sin, of holding on to things that are keeping you back from what God wants? There's something about maturity that says, I want to deny those things that pull me. And if we're all honest, we're pulled. But, but the beauty of that picture is that as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we find ourselves in, in this relationship where we want to overcome because it's a joy to follow Christ more than it's the pleasure of sin. We are not victims of past behavior or the ongoing pull of temptation. Romans chapter 6, and I'm going to read the message version of this, gives us, I think, a really clear picture of this, this idea of what sin can do. So I'm reading the message version of Romans 6 here. It says, could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. A decisive end to that sin-miserable life. No longer at sin's every beck and call. What we believe is this. If we get included in, in Christ's sin-conquering death, what uh, we also get included in his life saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him. But alive, he brings God down to us. I love those words. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue, and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. 
That's what Jesus did. That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time, remember you've been raised from the dead, into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. See, I love those words. I want you to say boldly to me, I'm not a hostage. You're not a hostage to your past. You're not a hostage to sin. You're not a hostage to your emotions. You're not a hostage to the things you justify. You're not a hostage to the old pattern of doing things. You are new in Christ and our freedom is in Jesus that we can live unfettered, inspired by those that have gone before us and fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ. Is anybody with me today? Father, today I pray that you would do something in all of our hearts, that no longer do we leave here and go, well, that was good, I'm glad I came to church and that's nice, but, but we go back to old patterns, but that as we leave here, even as last week, many people stood and said, you know what, I am the church and I will be the church. And today, even as we jump into a new series, God, we're not gonna walk away going, well, oh, just it's the old patterns. Well, I am who I've always been. God, I pray it would be different in us. That there'd be a resolve in our hearts to say, I don't want to excuse. I just date whoever because it just kind of at least feels good. Or I justify pushing past boundaries that God created to hold off until I'm married because it, it, it just feels good for now. I need something. There's individuals in here where, oh, I mean, I used to drink a lot more and, and now it's not much, but it's just kind of nice. But you know deep down the Holy Spirit has said you've got to walk away or it's going to come back. As we talk about unforgiveness and that battle with stuff that happens to us that hurts so bad, it feels like a slap in the face, a punch in the gut, a stab in the back. That God, we can say, Lord, I don't, I don't understand forgiveness, but Jesus, please help me forgive. And it's not even the people are pleading for, hey, forgive me. It's so, e so easy when somebody says, hey, forgive me. But that's actually not the measuring line of forgiveness. Not if they ask. The measuring line of forgiveness is what Jesus said, hey, forgive as I've forgiven you. God, we've done all kinds of things we should never be forgiven of, except Jesus. There are people that have done all kinds of things to us that, that seems like they should never be forgiven of except Jesus. And God, it's not always an easy thing, but I pray your Holy Spirit would quicken people in this room. Hey, if there's an issue, you gotta, you gotta deal with that. Hey, if there's something going on, bring that to Jesus. Let him work in it. Let him soften you. Maybe it's greed or selfishness. There's all kinds of ways, but God, I pray today that our declaration would be we are not hostages, that we're dead to that way. And I pray that we would learn to look ahead, to fix our eyes on Jesus, to trust that you have something better. It's not always easy, but better. Because honestly, God, that's the nature of who you are. 
that we would give up what we're doing, the things that are going on, for something better. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.